The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. You want to follow along in that way. But turn in your copy of God's Word to Genesis 41. That's where we are. We're continuing in our series, God Meant It for Good, Seeing God's Hand in Every Circumstance. And so far, as we've been working through this series, we've seen these beautiful gems of God's sovereignty of his faithfulness to his promise. We've seen his nearness to us in difficult circumstances. We've seen his providential orchestration of the details last week. And today, God's perfect timing, God's perfect timing is on display for us. You've heard it said, timing is everything. You ever heard that? Ever heard someone say that? When you say something is just as important as what you say as important as how you say it and all that. But when you say it, the timing. Husbands, hopefully you've learned this art, right? When you want to ask to go on a hunting trip or a fishing trip or something, when you walk in the door at 5 p.m. after a long day of work and it's kind of that crazy hour in your house, probably not the best time to ask if you can be away for a week, right? Children, waking your parents up at 6 a.m., to get on the iPad or to go to a friend's house that day, you know, waking them up before the sun is bad timing. Timing is everything if you want to ask for a special privilege or a special treat, right? Uh, timing is important. Timing's important at an airport, isn't it? Uh, those uh, set the times when they take off, they, they leave, that's why they have air traffic control, right? Because if they weren't following those uh, strict timelines and when, who's coming in and who's going out, catastrophe is sure to happen. Timing is everything. Timing is important if you want to go to Bucky's. After work, on the weekends, that intersection right over there at I-35 and 306, just avoid it. There's plenty of other times to go to Bucky's. Timing is everything. And beloved, God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. But here's the thing. Oftentimes, here's the thing. You want to write this down. This is our nail. This is our theme from Genesis 41. Here's the thing. God's timing is different than ours. His is perfect, but it is different than ours. Write that in your notes. Write that in the Bible at the top of chapter 41. As we're working through here, we're picking out these gems. God's timing is different than ours. And so far in this story, in the life of Joseph, he's been betrayed by his brothers. He's been sold into slavery. He's been sold again. Then he was framed and falsely accused of adultery. He was then thrown in prison and last week forgotten by a friend. And through it all, who's been with Joseph? The Lord's been with him. And so we come to this chapter and we say, will he get Joseph out of his mess this time? Things seem to be spiraling out of control, yet the Lord is with him. Will he get him out of the mess Well, let's read chapter 41, shall we? It's a long one, I'll admit. Buckle up. It's 57 verses. But I think your attention will be captured as we head through it. This is Genesis 41. Hear the story, and let's find out what happened next. After two whole years, where's Joseph at this point? He's in prison. He's in prison. Chapter 40, he's in prison. After two whole years... In prison, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. 
And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing in one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt, and it's all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered, Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians. But there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I had told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now... Therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and let him set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint, proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. 
That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. Everyone take a deep breath. You all good? No? All right, let's press on. Almost to the end. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put, it in, every city, he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured." Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. You still with me? Still with me? Good. That's a long chapter, isn't it? But remember here, in this chapter, in this theme, what we've just seen is God's timing is different than ours. The details of our lives unfold at a different pace than we sometimes expect. And so let's look a little closer here at the details of Joseph's life. I'm sure he wanted the things of his life to unfold a little bit differently. But when we speak of God's timing, here's what it is. First, his timing is undeniable. God's timing is undeniable. Wait with endurance. Let's go back to the first uh, several verses of this chapter and look a little bit closer. As I pointed out at the beginning, two years pass, right? Chapter 40, he had, was the whole scene where he's in prison, the cup baker and the, uh, the, or the cup, 
bearer, rather, and the baker have the dreams. He interprets it for them, and uh, he makes that request to the, to the cupbearer, remember me, remember my kindness to you. And he gets restored to his office, goes back to serving Pharaoh. Two years go by, and he forgets all about it. That was just some guy in his past that he forgot about. And now we come to this night, Joseph heard Pharaoh dreams. We don't know what brings it on apart from the Lord. But Pharaoh's dreaming, and now we see this theme again throughout Joseph's life. First, Joseph dreamed back in chapter 37, and then last week in chapter 40, the servant's dream, and now Pharaoh is having this dream. And you know it, it was repeated multiple times. First, there's these cows, then there's these grain stalks that, uh, that come up. I find it interesting, this is just a little joke, that they're calling these cows attractive. Isn't that a little hilarious? I mean, I grew up in a dairy farming community. There's always cows, and some would say, oh, yeah, that's a beautiful bovine. You know, they're plump and beautiful, full of meat. And, but anyways, that's a joke, y'all. It's just a, it's just a joke. Attractive and plump cows. But he has these dreams. He wakes up. He's troubled, and he seeks these interpreters out. Goes to the magicians. He goes to all the supposed wise men, and none of them, none of them, are able to give him a sufficient answer. Everybody, all the supposed wise men, hear these dreams, even tells them to them, and they are unable to make sense of what happens. And then what happens in verse 9? At the exact right time, who has a flashback? The cupbearer, right? Look at verse 9. The chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember today my offenses. The person that, that Joseph had providentially interacted with, the person that God had put in his life that had crossed paths for a brief uh, time in prison, now, two years later, remembers his offenses now that his boss is having a dream. He said, I, I remember this young Hebrew. I remember this person. And there's really two lessons in here. There's two lessons kind of in this it's, it, that are instructive for us. When the Lord brings offenses to mind, reconcile them immediately. Sometimes we just go through life, we don't even know that we've uh, offended our spouse or we've offended a friend or somebody from our past. And when the Lord brings it up, go and reconcile it immediately. Bring it up, go and do that. I had to do that even this week. Two different, at two different points, once when I was on a bike ride, uh, the Lord just brought uh, a, a situation from two years ago, actually, it, to my mind. And then as I was preparing this, it came to mind again. I was like, all right, Lord, if you put it on my mind, surely I need to do it. So I picked up the phone call, picked up the phone, made an awkward phone call to someone I hadn't talked to in a couple years, and just said, hey, at this situation, I'm very sorry. Uh, will you please forgive me? The Lord has clearly put this on him. Of course, yeah, I, I, I forgive you. Kind of caught him a little bit off guard. But when the Lord brings things to mind, when he brings offenses, go and, go and reconcile it immediately, especially with your spouse, even if it's years uh, later, make it right. But second here, the Lord providentially puts people in our lives, even in the worst of times, doesn't he? And those people may come back up later. We saw that last week, the Lord's providential hand in our work, orchestrating the details, crossing our paths. As you never know, the person that you are interacting with now, the person that you're working with right now, the person that uh, you are talking to at the doctor's office or whatever it may be, that person may come back up uh, years later. Take advantage, have an intentional impact for the Lord, even in those moments. At the right time, 
the right time, this cupbearer remembered back to two years ago. And he calls this guy, he says that he's a young Hebrew. Did you pick that up in verse 12? A young Hebrew. It's important to know this is not accidental, but it's a marker for us to see God's undeniable timing in this situation. Hebrew, these are God's people, and they are a blessing to the nations. That was part of the Abrahamic promise, that they would bless those who, uh, who bless them, that they would have uh, prosperity where they are, because where God's people are, God is. And where God is, things happen. And so this young Hebrew, at the right time, God undeniably brings his people into situations as instruments, just as he is doing here for Pharaoh. This is undeniable. The details are unfolding. Only God could orchestrate something as precise as this that would come back around two years later. His timing is undeniable. And this is here just, this is the story of even our church here. So uh, many of you know, some, maybe this is a, a new story for you, but this church, Redemption Bible Church in this city, just a couple years ago was really a dream, so to speak. Now, I and nobody else didn't wake up in the middle of the night dreaming about attractive and plump cows. Okay? Don't, don't hear that. But it's just the desires. We, you're, we're hearing the statistics about how fast New Braunfels was growing, the need for gospel preaching, churches here. It was just a dream. And step by step along the way, what was once just a dream became a core group, became a launch team, became now a church that launched back uh, last fall and is now continuing to meet. And God's timing through it all has been undeniable been unmistakable. Only God could orchestrate the events that has brought this about. It involved a lot of waiting on the Lord, involved a lot of waiting for the right time of opening doors, of meeting lots of people until the timing was right. Unmistakable. We could have tried to rush the process. We can get impatient. But when God is moving, when God is moving, we can't mistake it. The thing is, when it's happening, what do we do? We have to wait with endurance. We have to wait with endurance, not getting impatient, not rushing the process, not trying to take matters into our own hands. What do we see from the scripture? When we try to take matters into our own hand, does it go well for us or does it go poorly for us? Poorly, right. Some are like, yeah, I know that all too well. Yeah. Doesn't go well for us. Children, when we uh, uh, try to uh, skirt the problem, when we try to uh, take matters into our own hands or go around mom and dad's back, does it ever go well for us or does it go poorly for us? Poorly. Poorly. So we wait with endurance. What has been the pattern that we've seen chapter after chapter into Joseph's life? When Joseph is living a life of integrity, he's living a life of faithfulness, no doubt. But what do we see the pattern? First, it begins with blessing or success, right? Because he's one of God's chosen persons. He's living within the Abrahamic promise. It comes with success. And then what happens after his success? He gets more responsibility, We've seen that when he was in uh, his uh, family house, when he got in Potiphar's house, when he's in prison, he has some success, he has responsibility. After that responsibility comes conflict or hardship. Something happens when he uh, gets this promotion. And in the midst of that, the next stage then is the need for endurance. And that's where Joseph is at this point. He's waited two whole years to get out of this prison. After that happened, he's probably actually been in prison about nine years at this point. Think he has a need of endurance? You bet. You bet. And as we wait for God's timing, we have need of endurance. This is the
the process. This is the pattern. Success, responsibility, conflict, endurance. Are you, beloved, are you in a season of waiting? Are you in a season of waiting? Waiting on a housing situation to change. Waiting to hear back for a job opportunity. Waiting for this treatment to end or this illness to go away. Are you in the midst, waiting for uh, relational wounds to heal? Are you waiting for that godly man or godly woman to meet and to marry? Are you in a season of waiting? We wait with endurance. Knowing that God's timing is undeniable. It's perfect. See, our, our understanding, do we, do we have the whole picture? No, our understanding is limited. Our, we only see a, a, a tiny piece of the whole, but who sees it all, beloved? The Lord sees it all, and his timing is perfect. And when the time is right, when the time is right, that's when we walk ahead in faith. But in the midst of waiting, that waiting is worship. Our waiting is worship. We're saying, God, I trust you. I trust your timing. I trust that your good plan is going to unfold here. I trust that you are orchestrating all the events, all the people, all the opportunities, all the outcomes. And so I trust your timing. I want it to happen today. I would prefer to get out of this. But I know that your timing will be good. Help me to wait with endurance. And when the time is right, when the time is right, I'll walk ahead in faith. Because here's the second point. This is where we go into verse 14. God's timing is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. So we walk with courage. His timing is unstoppable. Not only is it undeniable, like we can't miss it, but it's unstoppable. Here, imagine this. Imagine, you know, here's Joseph back in our picture here, back in our chapter. Joseph, he's in the pit. He's in the dungeon yeah, he's just doing his thing. He's, he's, you know, he's in charge there in the prison. He's overseeing different people. He's just doing his things. And then without warning, royal guards burst in. This is verse 14. They burst in and they say, Pharaoh needs you. We have something to go. Who knows what details were not necessarily uh, given all those things. But we do know is they come quickly. They bring him out. And what do they have to do? I got to shave him and change his clothes, right? I bet he had a good prison beard going, right? Nine years, I mean, he was, he was getting ready to join Duck Dynasty or something. Yeah. But the Egyptians, there's some cultural things here. Egyptians don't like uh, uh, body hair or anything like that. So in order to come before Pharaoh, <laughs> have to uh, shave him up real quick, change his clothes out of the prison rags, and go before Pharaoh. And here's the, really the outline. I want you to see a little pattern here. He comes before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh explains his dilemma. See, he just goes right in and tells him, there's, we're not given any details of introductions or anything. He just says, hey, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I have this problem. I have this problem. And look at verse 16 here. Joseph gives the credit to the Lord. After Pharaoh explains his dilemma, Joseph says, this, he gives God the credit. Underline that. Underline that. It's not me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Underline that. And after he does that, then Pharaoh explains his dreams. We don't have to go through it all again. That's why the chapter's so long, because these dreams are explained in detail multiple times. But he then explains the dream about the cows, about the, the stalks of grain. And look at verse 25. After he explains it, then Joseph replies and gives God credit again. Underline that. The dreams of Pharaoh 1. God has revealed to Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh explains it. Joseph gives credit to God. And from there then, Joseph interprets the dreams. And in both verses 28, look, he says, it is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he will do. In verse 32, the thing is fixed by God. God will shortly bring it about. Underline those. This is God. This is God. Joseph is giving God the credit. And in verse 32, he's saying God's plan is unstoppable. It will surely happen. It is fixed. It's fixed. And then in verse 33, after he gives God the credit one final time, then Joseph moves to instructing Pharaoh. He interprets his dreams, and then he instructs Pharaoh. Verse 33 is very bold, what Joseph is doing here. This is Pharaoh. This is the most powerful ruler in the whole universe at that time. He could, with a snap of his fingers, Joseph would be done for. And yet he walks with courage, with extreme courage, and lays out a plan going forward. He says, this is what's going to happen. Now, if you were smart, here's the plan to do it. Let him appoint overseers. Let him save 20% and all that. But this confidence that Joseph has in God's timing, his undeniable, unstoppable timing, gives him the confidence that he needs to speak and instruct Pharaoh. And when we trust God's perfect and purposeful timing, it gives us the courage that we need. The risk is minimized because our trust is in the Lord. Our trust is in the Lord and in his perfect and purposeful timing. This is what happens. Joseph gives the credit to the Lord. He knows that God is on the move here. God's flight plan is always on time and is never deterred. Look at this verse, or these verses rather, from Daniel 4. It'll be on the screen for you. Maybe you're familiar with them. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. It's actually a very fascinating parallel story to what we have here in Genesis. It's Daniel's uh, interaction and his slavery. There's a lot of of parallels here in our interpretation of the dreams. But this is King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, someone not following the Lord. And uh, he he gets hammered by the Lord and goes kind of crazy for a while. And as he comes out of it, he confesses this. It's on the screen. It says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth none can stay his hand or say to him what have you done god's plan god's timing is unstoppable It is a flight plan that is always on time, never deterred. It leaves and takes off at exactly the right time. His flight path is always perfectly planned, always perfectly executed. Passengers are there because he has called them. It is unstoppable. His timing cannot be thwarted. No one gets to call time out. No one gets to go into overtime. There's no drop balls. There's no missed scores. God's timing is unstoppable. It's unstoppable here. His timing in your life is unstoppable. It is fixed by God. That's, we, we can't miss that here. We can't miss that. Our schedules change all the time, don't they? They're just the tiniest thing, and our plans are, are moved. 
weather changes and, and our plans go haywire. The boss makes a decision and that changes everything for our vacation plans or when we're going to go home that night. It changes everything. Our plans are constantly moving. There are so many variables in our life that we can't plan for all the time. And so our plans come, go, we stop them, we go. It's good to make plans. But I'm telling you, beloved, they, they're moving all the time. But God's plans unstoppable and they're perfect and they're purposeful for you it's a part of his goodness god meaning this for good they are unstoppable and this gives us the courage that we need to give glory to the lord this gives us the courage that we need joseph could have stole the show at each of those moments Joseph could have come in. I had, it's important that you underlined these things because I wanted you to see it. That he could have, he said, yeah, you know, I'm pretty good. I've interpreted some dreams. I've got some pretty good skills here. It's easy for us to do that too. We, we make a good sale. We get promoted. Things are going well with our kids. And, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to take credit and to get a little puffed up about our abilities, about our, our gifts. Yeah, you know, and I, I did that. I must be a pretty good salesman. I must be a pretty good business owner. I must be a pretty good parent or whatever it might be. And that might be true. You might be pretty good at those things. But who's given you the gifts? Who's given you the abilities to do it? Who put those people, those clients, those kids, whatever, who put those opportunities in your life? So the Lord did that. The Lord is orchestrating these things. And when we recognize that, that gives us the humble courage. We need to, one, be unafraid in our witness. To be unafraid in our witness for Christ. See, Pharaoh was a pagan king. Pharaoh was, he wasn't following the Lord. He had all kinds of other gods here. And, and it probably seemed foolish to Joseph to point attention back to the Lord to give him the credit but when we have courage and God's timing and God's providential working in our life of putting us into these situations where he has clearly orchestrated we can be unafraid in our witness I would not be here I would not be in this this hospital room I would not be in uh, this job I would not be in this family I would not be wherever you find yourself right now I would not be there apart from the Lord putting there his timing is perfect his plan is perfect and that gives me now the courage I must be here to be a messenger for the Lord I now have this opportunity to share the hope that I have. And when we have that confidence in the unstoppable plan of God, we can be unafraid in our witness, and we can second, we can work for Christ with humility. Because we know, God, only you could do this. Only you could put us in this position. And so Joseph sees that. He sees that in this opportunity. He sees that in where he is now, God orchestrating these undeniable, unstoppable events. And so he's working with, for Christ with, uh, with humility. And this is really how the chapter then closes out. See, because not only is God's timing undeniable and unstoppable, it's also undeserved. And so we work with humility. We work with humility. Pharaoh likes Joseph's plan, doesn't he? Verse 37 is where we pick up this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. It, he likes this plan and he promptly promotes him to a place of great authority to carry out the plan. It says he recognizes the spirit of God at work in this man. And this should be obvious to unbelievers. Guys and gals, if you're a believer, if you're in Christ today, if you are following the Lord, God's work, the fruit of the Spirit should be so obvious to those around you, even to those who are not in the faith. 
and say, there's something different about this. And that type of living, that type of integrity, that type of faithfulness to the Lord is attractive even to unbelievers. It's appealing, even if it's for the wrong motives. But here, Pharaoh, uh, he elevates Joseph. He gives him new clothes, right? He dresses him up. He gives, he gives him this ring, this, uh, the, the signet ring, which is the authority to issue decrees. He's given a lot of power here. He's given these royal clothes that have this position of authority. He has this gold chain that, that shows the wealth and the honor that this man now has. He's carrying a little bling around his neck. He's given these new clothes. He's given new authority. Now again, he is raised up to the second in command, just as he would, happened in Potiphar's house, just like happened in prison. He is climbing the ladder. If anyone is climbing the ladder, here it is, this man. People are bowing the knee to him. Did you see that? Verse 43, bowing the knee, just as he dreamt back in chapter 37. Surely these details are coming together. When he was a 17-year-old, he had these dreams. Now he's 30, being elevated to this, and he has great authority. People are bowing the knee. New clothes, new authority, and a new name. A new Egyptian name, which likely means God speaks and lives. Not entirely sure, but uh, that's our best guess of what that name means. God speaks and lives, and he's also given a new wife, the daughter of a pagan priest. He's 30 years old, and he hits the jackpot. Everything's coming together, right? Everything is, is working out for Joseph. He has climbed that corporate ladder, and now he is the segundo to the most powerful person in the entire world. It's a place of great power, kind of like a prime minister, if you will, who is second to the royal ones. He gets right to work. He surveys the land. He stores 20%. He saves it. Egypt is prepared. The rest of the world is not. And everything happens exactly as was planned. Even has two sons. It does something in there that we can't miss, actually, in having these sons to an Egyptian wife, but here's something fascinating. He gives him Hebrew names, which is really instructive for us because it actually shows that he hasn't bought into the whole uh, Egyptian culture. He's still faithful to his roots. And in the names, they're, they're profound. In, in naming his first son Manasseh, which literally means forgotten, he's saying that not that he's forgotten uh, his heritage or not what he's forgotten where he's come from, but really he's forgotten the bitterness of those years. He's forgotten the bitterness of those years. And in naming his son Ephraim, he's saying, God's made me fruitful. He's made me fruitful. He's given me great abundance. Those, uh, those things in my past, the bitterness, now God has blessed and caused fruit. This shows his great gratitude and humility before the Lord. But we get to this point in the story, and we think, yes, he's finally arrived. His reward has come right? He's lived this life of integrity. He's lived this life of faithfulness. And every time, man, psh, he's been smashed down. He lives a right life. He gets elevated, thrown into prison, thrown in a pit, thrown in a pit right after, and taken out of context of the promise and the theme of Genesis. It surely seems like chapter 41 is Joseph's great payout. Like he has finally been promoted. He has finally had some success. The Lord has finally shown him some personal favor. And that'll really preach, won't it? That'll really preach. We could come and be faithful, keep your integrity, take your hits, wait your time, and the promotion will come and God will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. But I wouldn't be a faithful to the Lord. I wouldn't be a faithful preacher if I preached that. 
Because it's easy. It's easy to see that and to take this as like the great prosperity payout. But here's the thing, beloved. Here's something that we can't miss. Is that secular success isn't always a spiritual win. Secular success isn't always a spiritual win. Let me tell you a, a little story here. Let's say that you had a son. You raised him up. Raised him in the ways of the Lord. You showed him great favor. He had everything that he wanted. He's raised in the church, given all the lessons provided for every need. And he comes of age and he moves out of your care. Gets on at a big company. Begins to do well. Rises through the ranks to where he has one of the highest positions in the company. Because of his work, he's not with the Lord because he's, he's on the road traveling all the time. He marries a woman that is a not, does not share the faith. As a matter of fact, she, she is the daughter of a Buddhist priest. Begin to have some kids together. The kids aren't raised in the church. They're raised under this other uh, influence. Not in church. You never see him. He's gone all the time. Doesn't come home for Christmas. Doesn't come home for Easter. No holidays. Doesn't even write a card or send a text or anything. If that was the story, we would see that as a tragedy, wouldn't we? We'd see that as a tragedy. That's not a success story. And that's what's happening right here in Joseph's life. Those are the themes that are happening in Joseph's life. He is away from the Lord. And so, yes, he has secular success, but that's not the, that's not the point here. Seen in light of the, the, the promise, in light of what is happening in Genesis and the Pentateuch, uh, in, these early, uh, in these early books of the Bible, we're seeing, no, this is actually a tragedy. Yes, he has a secular success. Yes, God's timing is perfect. Yes, God is at work here, no doubt. But we can't see this as finally as like this is the climax of the story. That's coming. It's coming. But it's not in chapter 41. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on here? Well, here, let me just show you. Moses highlights several elements to kind of point us here so we don't miss it. First, his name. Names are really important in the book of Genesis. And now we've just jumped in here. But Abram and Sarai are given new names under the promise. It's something important. God is at work in their life. Jacob, who is Joseph's father, is given a new name, Israel. It's a sign of the promise. Here, Joseph is given an Egyptian name. And to us reading it in light of the, the grander theme here of God fulfilling his promise to his people of giving them a land, of giving them uh, offspring, and of giving, making them a blessing, a covenant blessing to all the nations here. We're seeing this and we're saying, oh no, this isn't good. He's given, uh, he's given a, a, a wrong name. Second, the location. Where is this blessing taking place? In Egypt, not in Canaan, not in the promised land. Things are happening here, but this is, the Canaan was the land where the blessing was supposed to come, not here, not here. So this is good, this is part of God's plan, but this isn't a fulfillment of the blessing. This is not the climax of the story. Third, his marriage to a foreign wife. As we pointed out here, she is the daughter of a pagan priest. And Hebrews were not to marry foreigners, let alone uh, uh, daughters of, of, of uh, pagan religions here. And this is really for spiritual reasons. The same reason why we as believers, we don't marry unbelievers, because then our attention is divided. Then how are our kids going to be raised? And we don't have the most important thing in common. And so whether he's forced in this or whatnot, is this, this is not necessarily going all according to plan. And fourth, we can't miss this. 
Yes, Joseph has a position of power, but don't miss the fact he's still a slave. He hasn't been set free. He's still a slave to now just a very powerful master. And so, though this isn't the climax to the story that we've been hoping for, God is still moving events into place. Beloved, his timing is different than ours. His timing is different than ours. And just when it seems like things are going right, praise the Lord, work with humility, work, work with humility, work as unto the Lord, even if it's not the, 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 the payout or the promise or the promotion that you are hoping for. God is still moving, the timing is different, but his plan is bigger and better than ours, even bigger than this job promotion, even bigger to the power that is coming uh, to him now because his timing is undeserved. God is promoting Joseph for his purposes, not because Joseph has earned it, not because Joseph has taken his hits, not because Joseph has endured so much, but, but simply for the fact that God is working out his purposes. So no matter what, no matter what, we continue to work for the Lord just as Joseph does, he carries that out with humility. He continues his work. He, does, he carries out the plan because he knows God is up to something. God's timing is undeniable. He knows it. He's taken the, he's, he's the opportunity here. His timing is unstoppable. His timing is undeserved. We press on, beloved. We press on in humble obedience, faithful to the responsibility that God has before us, even here and now. As things begin to change, we continue to work for the Lord. We don't just take a break. We don't just like uh, stop doing uh, faithful things. It's not that we just stop being obedient. Okay, God's our our housing situation has uh, has changed. We've finally gotten into something new. Do we become lazy? No. God's just given us a new toolbox. As we wait for it, we stay faithful with what God has in front of us. In our job, in our marriages, we wait upon the Lord. We work with humility, trusting the Lord with a sense of gratitude. Timing is everything. God's timing is everything. It's different than ours. Here's the thing. I want you to hear from Romans 5. When we talk about God's timing in this person's situation, as we talk about God's timing in our own lives, I want you to see God's perfect undeniable, unstoppable, undeserved timing in sending Christ to earth. Romans 5, verse 6 says, While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. See, God is working in events in human history. He knows all these things. He knows the beginning from the end. As we think of like the overarching banner of God's sovereignty, he is providentially, very specifically, very perfectly, very purposefully working out all things according to his timeline, according to his calendar. Here he's working in Joseph's life. He's worked in Christ's life, and he sent him at the exact right time. 2018 would have been too late. 500 BC would have been too early, but the timing of that event in human history was perfect. God has the big picture in place. He surely has the details of your life in place. 
the right time he did these things. At the right time, he saved you. Sometimes maybe in our story, we're like, you know, maybe if you could have saved me as a child, I could have avoided all these things, these foolish things that I did as a high schooler, college. But you know, God's timing was perfect to call you to himself. God's timing was unstoppable, undeniable, and undeserved in your life. He did it at the exact right time. And he's working out the details wherever you find yourself in right now. He's working it out for his pleasure, for his glory. Do we need to fret about it? Do we need to worry about it? Should, should that lead us to anxiety? No. Because we have full confidence in the, in the Lord. We don't have to live in light of our past sin and mistakes. We don't have to worry about what is yet to come. It's the hope that we have that he saved you at the right moment. He's working out the details of your life at the right moment, just as he did in Joseph's life, just as he brought Christ at the right moment. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, does he have your life right now figured out? His timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. And that's the hope that we have as believers. Amen? It's the hope that we have as believers. If you're not in Christ today, if you're, if you're not a believer, if you haven't put your faith in him, that's not, that's, that's, his timing for you is not gonna go very well. But you can have the confident assurance in Christ that he's at work in your life. And maybe today, maybe today is the day of salvation. So I do say, Lord, I, you know what? I, I trust you. I don't have it all figured out. All my plans seem to be going wrong. You seem to have things figured out. See, God's timing is everything. God's watch never gets off track. <laughs>